Would you guys go ahead and have a seat? We want to welcome you today. Welcome you to the second service. We want to welcome those who are listening online. We're so excited about, about uh, you guys as well. Well, I love that you're here with us to worship, and uh, what an incredible morning we have already had. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. We started this series uh, called Stand Firm, and we're talking about what it looks like when Peter was writing to this group of believers back in this time who were going through a lot of struggles. There was a lot of hardship that they were facing in their life. They were even facing this pressure to conform to the culture that was around them. Let me ask you this, anybody going through some problems in your life? Most likely, yes. You probably may even find that a lot of times maybe the place that you work or where you live, that there's this pressure to start to conform and and maybe it's even hard to stand up for your faith. Maybe at school, if you're a teenager or you're in middle school or whatever, and it's hard to stand up for your faith. And, and, and this group of believers that Peter was writing to, they understood this. And what Peter is beginning to speak to them about is, is saying to them, look, you, you, uh, you, you need to start to grow up in your faith. Now, now, what we've been talking about in this series is that a lot of times, whenever we go through hardships, there are responses that people have. And, and I know that I can identify to this because I've maybe done all of these. Some of us, we get bitter, and we just start to lash out against others, and we, you know, we get very angry with our circumstances, and, and we start getting bitter with other people, and bitter at God, and maybe bitter about, and maybe you're there today. Some people, we give up, right? And we throw the towel in, and we're like, you know, if this is the way it is, and I'm just walking away, maybe you're close to that, or maybe you've done that before. Some people, we anchor ourselves to something that maybe we're hoping, hoping that our circumstances will change, and, and if that happens, then everything's going to be okay, and sometimes that does help, right? But, but a lot of times, we're, we're maybe uh, connecting ourselves in the hope of something that's not going to last, and it doesn't last, and then we feel even more hopeless. Or there are those, and this is what Peter is talking about, he begins to say, you've got to, you've got to connect into something that transcends all of what's happening in this world in which we live right now, and that is our living hope, this one who is Jesus Christ. We have a living hope because we have a living God, and that transcends everything that's going on within our lives. And so Peter is saying, you've been born again now. Now I want you to start to begin to grow. And you got to kind of hold fast in, in what is your faith. And you got to hold steady. you got to stand firm. I, I actually heard somebody say this the other day, and I thought it was awesome. He said, a great oak is only a little nut that held its ground. All right? And what are we? We're a bunch of little nuts that need to hold our ground, right? Okay? And he he said, I want you to hold your ground and become this great oak. I want you to begin to to begin to to be a great oak tree, right? It's it's, it's this small nut that that holds its ground and develops roots and then begins to be able to withstand all of the difficulties. To be this immovable oak, okay, write this down. Here's the first point for you. You got to hold your ground. You got to hold your ground. And what Peter is going to say is you have to start growing up. You got to begin to grow up in your faith now that you've been born again. So to grow, he's going to start talking about what does that look like? Well, a person that's growing, you're going to need to know what it is that you believe. And and so many Christians don't know what they really believe. You want to know what you believe. You want to know to whom you belong to or where your identity is found. And then that is going to begin to dictate what your behaviors start to look like within your life. And so look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1. He writes this. In verse 21, he says this, through Christ, 
You have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and he gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins. In other words, this forgiveness you've experienced, you've been justified when you obeyed the truth, okay? That's the gospel. Now look what he says your response should begin to be. So now you must show sincere love to each other. This is as you're beginning to grow up. As brothers and sisters, love each other deeply with all of your heart. For you have been, what does it say, church? You have been born again. That's something that has happened within you. The Spirit of God now lives inside of you, but not to a life that will quickly end. That's not what you've been born to. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal, living Word of God. As the Scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. Peter is actually quoting some Scripture here. But the Word of the Lord remains, say it with me, what? Forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. As I was getting this message ready this week and I was thinking about the gospel and I was thinking about what Peter, who Peter was writing to, it made me think about years ago when I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip into Vietnam and, uh, and, and I've been on a few in that part of the country and I was in Vietnam on this mission trip. I've been invited to come and, uh, and be a part of a, of a group of pastors. Uh, our, our, our sponsoring church, Northwood Church, had in, invited me as a pastor to go with another group of sponsors. We were there and, uh, and as we were there, we were there to, to kind of work with a group of, of, of people who were trying to bring more religious freedom into that communist country. There had been a lot of great uh, just a lot of great persecution of, of Christians who were there. And, and so there was a historical meeting that was happening that the government actually invited some of us who were pastors to come and to tour the country. They were looking to improve their economic status in relationship with the United States. And so the United States had said, well, if you're going to do that, then we want some religious freedoms to improve over there. I don't know why I got picked to be a part of this group, but I got picked to go. And to, so I toured the country. And while we were touring, I met this this little, this little guy, he was, a, he was probably, a, and I'm not a big guy, all right, but standing next to this, this young man, he was probably in his early 20s, he was in the northern part of Vietnam, up on, uh, Vietnam on, on the Chinese border, up in the mountains in that area, and uh, he, was pro- he was probably about five feet tall, and so when I was standing next to him, I felt like a giant, okay, all right? It's usually when Randy's standing next to me, that's how I felt, okay, that's how Randy feels. And so I felt like this giant, in, in the, and, and, and I met this guy, and let me just tell you this, he may have been small in physical stature, but he was a mighty giant oak of a believer, and I found this out really quickly. As, as we were meeting with them, he invited us into his hut. And it was, it was a pretty decent sized hut, had a, had a thatch hut, had a, had a dirt floor. This also served as, as, as a church that they had started. And he began to share with us those pastors from America, how he had heard the gospel uh, over the airwaves from a radio station in the Philippines, traveled over, the, over the, the ocean there. He heard it. He placed his faith in Christ and, and decided at that point that God was calling him, knowing that God was calling him to spread the gospel. He started a church in his house and started a church in, in this little hut and began to talk to us about how that church was growing and, and how the Lord had changed his life. Now, you need to understand something. While he's telling us all of this, 
because this is a government, a communist government sanctioned trip, we had government minders that were with us, watching us and who were guiding us the whole time. So you need to know that the whole time that this man is sharing this, he is, he is putting himself in danger, all right? Because we weren't gonna be there the whole time. And he's putting himself in danger. Now, now this will tell you, he, he insisted that we sit in a circle. He didn't have a lot of furniture in this place. Uh, but he insisted that we sit in a circle and he began to share with us through our translator his story. And now remember, I'm supposed to be a quote unquote dignitary while I'm there, all right? And uh, you know your pastor's just a redneck, okay? Now I was wearing a suit. It was about a million degrees and humid there. I don't do well in suits anyway, and, uh, and I'm in this little hut. I was significantly larger than I am right now, okay? And I sat down on one of these little plastic chairs, and within a couple of minutes, the, one of the legs broke out from under the chair, and here I am, your pastor, illustrious pastor, rolling around on the dirt floor in my suit, mud on my face, trying to get up my other pastor friends we're laughing as it was quite funny, okay? I finally get back up and, you know, and so, by the way, another time I was in India and I got to preach at another church. I was a big guy then too. I was in a suit. It was very hot. And I, they put us up on the stage again in one of those chairs. And when I got up, when they introduced me, giving me this great introduction, the chair stuck to my bottom and I walked like that, okay? This is your pastor. Do you understand that, okay? And so, but, but, but here's the deal. In spite of that, I'm listening to this guy tell his story of what the Lord has done in his life and this boldness within him to say, you know, I know these guys are with you and I, I don't really care because here's the deal. We're going to keep spreading the gospel. You understand that the gospel is unstoppable, right? And so we, we heard this and I was just so deeply moved by what he was sharing with us at this point. This is someone who stands firm in their faith. And as he shared this, and, and, and these people, he, by the way, people were coming from all over the place to come to his little hut. He, he was sharing with us how over 200 people had already come to faith in Christ just from the time that he had accepted Christ. And he shared with us how people were walking miles just to get to this hut on a regular basis where he would bring the word of God to them. They would pray. They would, I'm telling you, it was the first century church that I was watching in front of my eyes. They were doing multiple services before anybody even really understood multiple services because they had this great necessity. There just wasn't enough room in that hut. They had these services that were going on and we prayed for him and I was just being so blessed by hearing his story and his boldness. And as we prayed for him at the end, we asked him, is there anything that we can do for you? And, and, he, and he, without hesitation, even with these government officials who were there, not really giving any care for what might happen whenever we're not there, he said, without hesitation, he said, yes, we need Bibles. We need the Word of God. Nobody here has them. And, and, and he said, we need Bibles. And so our leader looked at the government leader that we were with and said, would it be okay if we got them some Bibles? You need to understand, this was a big deal. And, 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 and they, they said with some hesitation, yes, but we need to be able to look at them first. And so later that week, as you know, we pooled our money together. We got them Bibles. They were able to have 
Bibles in that area. And by the way, we know that as the Word of God goes out, that it never returns void. Amen? Right? And so the Word of God was going out up in that area. And it just was a reminder to me of this, that that, that, that pastor was not up on all the latest church growth strategies Okay, he hadn't read the magazines on that stuff. That little church didn't have all the stuff that we have. They don't have the sound system. They don't have the computers. By the, they didn't even have chairs that worked right, okay, right, as I found out. They didn't have the, the, the words projected in the screens and all the things that we have that we think is what makes church. No, what they had was they had the Spirit of God that was so thick within their lives, and was transforming people in that place. What he knew that they needed more than anything else was not all of the things that we think that we need. What he knew that they needed was that they needed God's word. They needed God's word because they were gonna need to know how to stand firm because there's no telling what was gonna happen whenever we left. And that's what Peter's folks that he's writing to were undergoing was that same kind of pressure, that same kind of pressure from the government, persecution. We don't quite feel it the way that others in the world feel it, but maybe it's just this pressure you feel to conform, or maybe you're just ashamed of the gospel and you don't want others to know that you're a believer. And, 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 And what Peter is saying, and he's saying to us here today as well, is that you have to build your life upon something that is solid. It can't be this fluid kind of nature that we're so prone to within our lives where, you know, the the culture is always shifting back and forth and we're so connected to that. What, what, What Peter is going to say is you have to build your life on something that is not changing. And he talks about that being the word of God. And then he says, you gotta start growing up. That's what Peter is saying here. Now, why is Peter emphasizing growth to these believers? Because he knew that the hardships were, were, that they were going through were, for them, only going to get worse. He understood that if you're not firm in your faith and you're not growing up, then you're not going to make it. You're not going to survive. And Peter understood this, so he started, he, st- he was concerned for them. He was concerned that they, that they begin to grow. He was doing what Jesus had told him to do. Peter, do you love me? Then shepherd my people. And so this is what he's doing is I've got to help you grow up in the word. You're going to have to grow up in the word. You're going to need depth spiritually. Uh, you're going to need to build your life on something other than culture or on another person or you're not going to make it. And the reality is this, Okay. Here's how this applies for us today. There are many Christians, many Christians, who never grow past spiritual infancy. You've come to a place of being born again, and that's fantastic. I just talked to a lady who is from Brazil who came to our church last week for the first time. She accepted Jesus Christ this week, and she's going back to Brazil. And I praise God for that, but I told her this. I said, you're going to have to begin to grow now. And we want to begin to help you to do that, even though you're going back and and take the gospel back with you where you're going. Grow where you're planted. And that's a word for all of us today as well. But many never grow beyond spiritual infancy. I mean, think about it like this. If you ever go to like the store, maybe you go to Walmart, somewhere like this, and you see a kid who is certainly too old to be walking around with a pacifier in his mouth. You know what I'm talking about? And you look at that and you're kind of like, man, that's just kind of weird. That doesn't look right. You know, and you think, come on, mom and dad, help them grow up a little bit. 
Or if there was a kid, let's say eight or 10 years old, and he didn't have any kind of physical reasons to be wearing, wearing a diaper, he just didn't want to grow up and he was going to wear a diaper. We would look at that and we would realize there's something that's wrong with that. That that, 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 that kid needs to begin to mature, right? And it's our responsibility as parents and as adults to help bring someone along and grow up. And this is what Peter is saying is, I want you to begin to grow up because you shouldn't stay the same once you become born again. You should begin to grow. You should start looking different. You need to look different in this world in which you live in. And we need to grow spiritually because if we don't, there are just a lot of things that, that children are not prepared to handle whenever life happens, correct? Think about what childlike characteristics are, all right? When you're thinking of a smaller child, characteristics of childlike immaturity. How about this one here? There's emotional instability. There's this emotional instability, especially for kids who are toddlers, right? I started thinking about, about my son, Luke, whenever he, he's 23 now, uh, and he's a, he's a joy now, I'll tell you. But whenever Luke was a toddler, he was a handful, as many toddlers are. He was, he was uh, man, he was like the Tasmanian devil. Uh, and he was hard to corral. His, his emotions were very unstable, as most toddlers and children are. They could be in the heights of joy over something and then in a very quick moment go to the depths of despair. And I'm not talking about just over something that's really a big deal. I'm talking about the fact that he and the kid he's playing with both want the same Lego. You know what I mean? And there's a thousand Legos that he could pick. No, I must have this one. And so Luke would do this thing, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but Luke would start to just go to this place where he's wailing and crying, and, and, and I would like, and, and I would just kind of watch him do this over a Lego or something, and then I would like make a face at him, or I'd, and I'd tickle him or something in the middle of while he was crying, and he would do this weird laugh cry kind of thing where he would be like <laughs> and I, I mean it was weird okay I probably traumatized some of you me trying to do that but but this is what he would do and it was this emotional instability right and that's okay if you're a three-year-old we kind of expect it from a three-year-old but if Luke were still doing that today at 23 we would have issues okay and we would understand that well many baby Christians can be like this the slightest things upset them, right? And they go just back and forth. We're not saying that you shouldn't have emotions because we have emotions. But for some of us, the things that we get so rocked over and we're so upset, we're up here and then we're down here, back and forth, all over the place, this is something that would be a characteristic of a person who is immature. Here's another kind of characteristic of a childlike kind of quality here, this insecurity. I remember Trinity, my daughter, um, when she was younger, she had this great separation anxiety with my wife, Hope. Like she just, she didn't care if I was gone. When Hope was anywhere gone, I just remember Trinity being so upset all of the time. And, 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 and we, I took her to this wonderful father-daughter banquet and we were all dressed up, right? And, and, and this was awesome. I was even willing to bust a move out on the dance floor with Trinity. That probably was why she started crying. It could be. But, but at this point, man, we were having a big time. And then something just hit Trinity at this moment where she realized her mother was not there and she couldn't visibly see her. 
And she got really upset and, and I was trying to comfort her and I'm like, but I'm here. And it was like, it, it doesn't matter. I want mom, you know? And I'm like, what? You know, come on, Trinity. And, and, and anyhow, to make a long story short, we ended up having to leave. And, and so she was so insecure about not being able to visibly see her mom at that moment. You would have thought that Hope had like left us or walked out on us or abandoned us. But, but okay, so it was just kind of this irrational fear that she had. I remember this insecurity that Luke and Trinity, whenever they were little, we would, I would tell them, all right, we're going to go get some ice cream later today. I want you to behave. And I remember all day long, they would be like, this place sells ice cream. And I'd be like, I know. This place sells ice cream. I know. This place sells ice cream all day long as if I'm not going to follow through on the promise. And I would finally be like, I know. Do I not look like I understand where the ice cream places are? I get it, okay? But there was this insecurity of are you going to follow through on what you say you're going to do? Are you going to follow through on your promises? And again, baby Christians can, can be like this. We can be insecure. Whenever trouble comes to us, right, we can wonder if God has walked out on us because we can't visibly see something in front of us. We wonder if God has abandoned us. At the first sign of trouble, maybe we wondered if, if God will, will ever fulfill his promises to us and Insecurity is something that can be a big struggle for many of us. How about this for, for kids, right? Here's another thing that kids can be like, selfishness. Selfishness, especially toddlers. Wouldn't you agree, right? Uh, someone told me that a toddler's motto is what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine, right? That's a toddler's motto. And at a very early age, we kind of, we don't even have to be taught this. This word comes into our vocabulary, this word, mine, Right? And I remember when my kids would, would, were younger and they would be squabbling over something and this selfishness would just kick in and I would be like, will you guys just stop it? You know, will you just get along, right? And, and share? And they would look at me as if I was from another world like, who are you, sir? And how dare you to expect me to give up my turn on the Nintendo Wii? It's my turn, right? And this is kind of this... This, this whole mentality of just selfishness, the world revolves around me. Or think about, think about this, the selfishness, tantrums. If I don't get my way, this is what a kid does. I throw a tantrum and it's kind of out of control, right? I want my way and everybody around me is going to be miserable. I'm going to make them miserable because I'm going to get my way. Or, or kids can have maybe a critical little nature and they can point out everyone else's flaws and, and you know, and tattle on other people and... This also made me think about whenever Luke, and I've told this story before, when Luke was little, we had just started the church, he's probably around five years old, and there was a little girl that loved to point out all of the mistakes that he would make, and he would come and tattle on Luke to, to Hope and I, and, and just being honest, it was annoying, okay? She would come and tell us, and he probably did the things, I know he did, and, and, and he would do these things, and she'd come tattle on him, she would try to correct him, and, this, and he got sick of it. It all came to a head. We were in a Christmas special that they were putting on, and the kids' pageant, you know, and ever, all the guests are there, and this was a big deal. And Luke and this little girl are on the kind of on the front row because they're the younger kids. And he's probably singing the songs long, wrong and she's correcting him the whole time and trying to tell him what to do or whatever. And Luke just finally screams out, you're not the boss of me. 
And this was all up on the front row. And I'm up, I'm up on the front row too going, oh my goodness. And so I thought this is a perfect segue for me to come and say Merry Christmas to all and, and to all a good night. And, 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 and by the way, this is probably how it's like for you at your family gatherings, right? You can be like this. But, but we don't like people to tell us what to do. And, and so this is kind of how kids are, right? We're selfish, and, and, and this is, is, is what would happen with, with, with kids is, is we get to this place where there's this selfishness and, and many, many, uh, many baby Christians are like this. Many of us, we want what we want and we'll do whatever we can. And when we don't get our way, we throw a fit. Or if God's not doing it our way, we throw a fit. Here's another co- uh, characteristic, gullibility, right? Where, 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 where there's gullible. And they'll kind of believe just about anything. My dad was in the last service and I was laughing about this because I was thinking, whenever, whenever I was little, my dad one time uh, told me, and I believe this, he was messing with me, there was a creepy house that was behind our house. And my dad told me, messing with me, that there was a, there was a family of vampires that lived in that house, all right? I said, thanks, Dad. I was in counseling right after that, okay? Thanks a lot. But he told me that, and I believed it. So for like a year, I slept with the covers up around my neck, okay? Like, and I I don't think I, I would say I didn't even sleep, really, okay? And I remember he, there was a couple of times, and we like to tease in our family, and there'd be a school holiday, and he would say, you know what? Uh, He said, your principal called and said that actually everyone else is out today, but you're not. And he would just, and I would believe him. I would, I would believe this. And I'd be like, are you serious? And then he'd have some fun with me like that. Well, I love the kind of the family tradition of this. And so I would kind of mess with my kids a little bit as well. And, and they would believe it. And they would, they would believe different things. Now you know why my family is so messed up, right? Okay, all right. But, but this, is, this is the point is that baby Christians are often very gullible. And they'll often believe things that, that, that maybe it's just the bright lights or a flashy person can persuade them. Maybe it's because it was on the internet or it was on Facebook or whatever. And so they'll believe this. And what Peter is saying is that you have to grow up. By the way, Paul would say, you need to understand what you believe. Paul would begin to address this and he would say, it's pastor's responsibility to begin to help people grow up. He said this in Ephesians chapter four. Look at this. Then we will no longer be immature like children when we're growing up. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Some Christians are like a tumbleweed. They're dry and they don't have any roots and they're just blown by the wind of doctrine, whatever it may be for the day. And what he's saying is you got to grow. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they even sound like the truth. And there are some that are just easily, just so gullible and believe just whatever it could be. Paul would go on and write to the church of Corinth, who was a very fleshly church, and he would say this to them. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were, everyone say it with me, what? Infants in Christ. What he's saying is you never grew up. You just kind of stayed the same. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. He's really, he's confronting them. He's saying, you've got to grow. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. And he's addressing some things that were happening in that church. For you're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. You're selfish. There's insecurity. There's pride. There's, there's this immaturity that is 
is, the, is fitting you more than, than the works of the Spirit. And he said, that does, doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Are, are, aren't you living like, and he's saying, those of you who are believers, he's saying, you don't look and handle things any different than people who don't know Christ. And this whole book of 1 Peter is Peter saying, you need to be different. You are different because Christ is in you. Paul talks about this. Peter is talking about it. If you were to look in the book of 1 John, you'd see John would be talking about this. And, and they have been challenged by Jesus to grow up. And Jesus said, and you need to help others grow up. And so, so we want to grow up so that you can help others grow up in the Lord. Grow up spiritually. Stop acting like immature children. And so any of these, there's so many other characteristics of immaturity, right? Short attention spans, hypersensitive, need constant affirmation. I mean, we could keep going down the list. By the way, if you are a new Christian, just as we would expect a brand new baby to have those characteristics of immaturity, we understand that you're going you're gonna to have some of those characteristics. But if you are a person who knows the truth of God and you've been a believer for years and you don't act any different what Peter is saying and what Paul is saying is, you have to grow up. Something has to change, and you've got to begin to go deeper in your faith, right? And so he's going to begin to talk about, about putting away childish ways and beginning to grow in our faith. Paul would talk about putting away childish ways. Peter's imploring them to grow up because he knows that they're going to need it because they're going to face hardship. And when we go through hardship, if we don't have any depth, we get knocked around pretty, pretty badly, right? And he's saying, I want you to grow. And so he's going to begin to talk to us about how to grow. What does it begin to look like? Look at these passages back in chapter 1, some qualities of growing up. He says, verse 22, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. In other words, he's going to go kind of in a cyclical pattern. He's going to talk about being born again and then what should begin to look like in your life after you're born again. You were cleansed from your sins. That was your justification. That was the first part of your salvation where you're, you are now the righteousness of Christ. So now, or in other words, therefore, you must show sincere love to each other, to your brothers and sisters. Love that's genuine is what he's saying. It's not fake. It's authentic. You're not corrupted by selfish agendas. It's a love without hypocrisy. It says genuine love, okay? It's not need-driven. It's agape love. It's, it's a, a love of the will is what he's saying. We really fleshed that out last week. And then he says, love each other deeply with all your heart. When you love this way, it's going to cost you something. It's the same kind of love that Jesus showed us. And Jesus said, I want you to love each other in this way. Verse 23, for you have, here it is again, been, say it with me, church, what? Born again. You're a new creation. You're a new baby in Christ. The spirit of the living God lives in you. Now, here's what he's going to say starting in chapter 2. Because of this, therefore, or so, he says, get rid of all evil behavior. In other words, lay aside the old dirty rags of, the, of your old clothing, okay? You're clothed in the world. And this, this word get rid of is, they would use it to kind of describe taking off dirty clothes and putting on something that was new. And he's saying, put this, put this old way of life. That's how you used to be. Now, this evil behavior is this word malice. 
Okay, now he's addressing some problems that were in this church. And this malice was a deep kind of soul anger that you hold within you. It's underlying. It's not like little petty annoyances. It's a bitterness that has grown within you that starts to manifest itself in other ways. He says, you have to put that away. Put that to death and and take up Christ. He says, be done with all deceit. This is, this is treachery. This is manipulativeness. You'll do whatever. Now, think about this. If you're in the business world, he's saying, you got to look different as a businessman who follows Christ or businesswoman. you got to look different. Don't be about deceit and manipulation, trying to control at all costs. He says, put away this hypocrisy. And you know that there's, there's typically, whenever a believer is, is acting in hypocritical ways, it's one of the things that keeps unbelievers from wanting to pursue Christ in any kind of way because they look and they don't see any difference in our lives. He says, put away this hypocrisy. That's two-faced behavior. You act one way with one group of people and you're another way when you're with another group of people. You play to your audience. Put away jealousy, he says. That's that envy where you can't, you're not contented with what you have and you want what others have. That's that immaturity, right? It's rooted in insecurity And he says, an all unkind speech. And whenever I looked up this word all, here's what I found it means in the original language. Are you ready for it? All, that's what it means, okay? All unkind speech. And it covers so many different things. Slander, tearing other people down. He's talking to Christians and he's saying, stop it. Stop being this way. Harsh words, hurtful words. And I really believe that this is so much rooted in security. And, and I got to tell you, because this week I kind of blew it in, in this particular area. And I had harsh words that came out of my mouth with somebody. And I said some harsh words. And I was studying this passage the next day. And I realized as I said this, the Lord said, Bart, you need to grow up. And so I had to go to that person. I had to repent. I had to ask him to forgive me. I asked the Lord to forgive me. Aren't you glad that we have a God of grace? Amen, right? But I'm telling you this to say that, that I'm with you in this. That we have to just, we have to realize that, that it doesn't mean we're not, uh, that we're going to be perfect in this, but when we mess up, we repent, and then we realize, you know what, I need to grow in this area. I need to grow up, and he says these harsh words, and, 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 and this is something that is a work of the flesh. Peter is saying, you need to look different than those who do not know Christ. Stand firm in your faith. Be different. Now again, this isn't an exhaustive list. Paul would point out some things that are work of the flesh that are in Galatians. But these were things that these believers that Peter was really saying, I need you to stand firm in. He's going to say, this is what it looks like to begin to grow up spiritually. And, 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 and he's going to give us some other things. Let me, let me give you some things quickly. When we grow up spiritually whenever we completely start trusting in God's word. This is whenever we begin to grow, we're trusting completely in God's word. And some of us are putting our trust in other things that are perishable, things that aren't going to last. Maybe your trust has been in another person. But here's what the word of God is. You'll see that people come and go. Or maybe it's been in the latest opinion. Opinions change. Maybe it's been in a political party. Well, those certainly change, wouldn't you say, right? And what he's saying is, I want you to put your faith in God's word Look at what he says back to chapter one. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from this eternal living word of God. 
As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains, everyone say it, when? How long? Forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So what are you putting your faith in? Some of us, we put our faith in maybe, maybe our bodies, right? Or, or the way that we look and, and, and what we know. What did he say? People are like grass that withers and the flower that fades. It may look good for a little while. If you're getting older, you know what I'm talking about, right? These bodies are falling apart. And he, what he's saying is you got to put your faith in something. So if our faith is in the way we look and, and that's it, uh, here's what, you're going to be disappointed. And, and, and it's going to fade. And then... We're going to be insecure. And then we start doing some really weird things to try to keep up our image. And he's saying, no, you got to put your faith in, in the word of God. Here's the other thing that we'll see as a characteristic of someone who's growing. You're consistently craving God's word. There's two key words, consistency and you have a hunger. You want to grow. He says in verse, chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn babies... You must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. In other words, you're growing into who God made you to be. Now look at this. Cry out for nourishment. So many times we're crying out for everything else to satisfy us. And, and we know that if you've been a parent and you have a baby that you're going to feed and you try to satisfy that child with anything other than that milk, they're, gonna, they're not going to be satisfied. And so he says, no, cry out for nourishment, right? Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness, what he's saying is once you've experienced God's grace, you should begin to understand that this is the only thing that will make the true difference in your life. And he says there's consistency. I started thinking about when my kids were little and we would have them on a feeding schedule. There was consistency. You don't just feed a baby one time on Sunday morning. Hello, right? You have to feed that child on a regular basis. And the goal is to teach the child to get to the place where they feed themselves. That's part of maturing. If, if I were still spoon feeding my 23-year-old son, we would have an issue. Right? You know what I'm saying? They got to get to the place where they're growing up, where they're craving it for themselves and you cannot expect a baby to properly grow if they only eat one time a week or maybe two times in a month if you make it here a couple of times. This is part of the growth, but, but here's the thing. You're not going to have roots that grow deep. If you're counting on me and me alone or Randy or whoever, you got to start developing consistency in God's word. Whenever, whenever we would feed our kids, it'd be like every three or four hours. What if, what if we started consuming the Word of God and we don't have the excuse that, well, I can't do it, you know? We have it on our phones. We have it on our computers. We have it all over the place. We have access to the Word of God. And he's saying you got to be hungry for this and, and feed yourself and begin to grow up and cry out for this instead of crying out for other things to satisfy you. And, and I just think again back to my Vietnamese friend, my pastor friend there, who he said he knew that the thing they would need beyond anything else was the Word of God. He knew they needed this because, again, who knew what was going to happen after we left and the difficulties that they would face. Here's another part of growing up. What it looks like is constructing our lives upon the cornerstone of Christ, constructing our lives upon this, which 
By the way, we should understand that whenever Peter would talk about the word of God, it was interchangeable with Jesus Christ. John would also talk about this. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. Who's he talking about? Jesus. So he's talking about not just building your life upon stale doctrines and just knowing some facts. He's saying you gotta build your life upon Jesus and the gospel and what he has said about who you are. But many of us, we're building our lives on shifting foundations that, that, that change so rapidly within our culture, right? Or maybe you're building your life upon money and your checkbook and, and your bank account, which changes. Or maybe you've built your life upon another person and you just, they just changed. Or, or maybe they walked out of your life. Or worldly success, it changes. And he's saying all of these things are unstable. They're temporal. They're perishable. Peter says, build your life on the cornerstone of Christ himself. He says, verse 4 in chapter 2, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. People rejected him. Who did? The, The religious leaders did. And he became a stumbling block to them. But to those who accepted him, he becomes this foundation within our life that we build our lives upon. And this is what Peter is reminding them. Now, I'm not, I'm not much of a construction guy, but in this day, the cornerstone was in particular the most important piece of the building. It was what the rest of the foundation and everything else was built upon, this one cornerstone, right? And if it was off, everything else would be off. And my preparations for this week, I kept thinking about when I am prone to go into this place of fear or insecurity or control or whatever it may be within my life, I started thinking, what is it, what is this root that's going on within me? And here's what I started realizing. God was showing me it's because I'm building my life on the cornerstone of me. And so often that's what we do. I mean, what's been your cornerstone? For me, it's been me. And, and what we know about the cornerstone is this, of Jesus, is that if we, whatever it is, else it is that we put our faith in, at some point, the cornerstone crushes those things to dust. And so your cornerstone had better be within him. So we want to we put our faith in, in, the, in the cornerstone of Christ. Here's another part, comprehending our new identity. This is what it begins to look like to grow up. We comprehend our new identity. Now that we're in Christ, we're different. And he starts talking about this. He says, you are living stones. You're not just a dead stone. This is Peter who was the rock, right? And he's saying, you're living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more? And he's going to say this, you are his holy priest. Do you know this? That if you are a believer, that you are a priest of God. Your pastors, we are not the only priests that are here. You're a priest of God, and he's telling you this, that this is your identity. What does it mean to be a priest? Well, priests do what? Priests don't just come and and get entertainment. Priests are part of 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 the worship that goes up to God. Just as I told you last week, I told you this last week, what we do on Sunday morning as we put this on, this is not a show for you. Amen, right? It's not us trying to entertain you. If we ever get to that place, then that is the wrong way of thinking about what this is. 
No, you are not to be entertained, and, and I am not to just be entertaining you or these people who are up here. We are priests together, bringing what we do, offering it up together with you, you participating. All we're doing is leading you in joining us in what we're bringing to God on that day. So if you are a priest, let me ask, what do priests do? They bring sacrifices. What kind of sacrifices are you bringing to the Lord? What kind of sacrifices of praise? What are you bringing to God as, as you join us in this worship of God, right? Priests do what? They also, they minister to others. Priests think about other people and not just themselves, right? And he's saying you're a holy priesthood. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust, uh, in, who trust him recognize the honor that God has given him. For those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble. There are some of you who maybe will be caused to stumble because of Jesus Christ as the cornerstone because you will reject him. He is the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. In other words, they don't trust in who he says he is, which is the gospel. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them, those who choose not to accept this cornerstone of Christ is what he's talking about. But listen to what he begins to say. He reiterates this. But you are not like that. That's not who you are, for you're a chosen people. You're royal priests. You're a holy nation. And I love this. You're God's very own possession. In other words, you are God's treasure. And when you begin to understand who you are, it begins to dictate the functions that, that, and the behaviors that come out of you, right? When you understand who you are. He says, you can, as you begin to understand this, as a result, you can now show others the goodness of God, what he's done in your life, for he called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. So he's saying, you need to comprehend this identity that you have in Christ. And here's the final thing. When you begin to do this, you actually begin, a person who's growing in their faith starts to become considerate of unbelievers' perception of Christians. Okay, you're considerate of, of, of the fact that there are others who are watching you. You see, believer, your kids are watching you. And they want to see how you handle problems. Our unbelieving neighbors are watching us. They want to see how we deal with our problems. Our coworkers, even our enemies are watching. And that's what Peter is saying is those who are persecuting you are even watching you. And look at what he says. Dear friends, I warn you. As temporary residents, this isn't your home, and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very soul, stand firm was a military term. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. You have a consideration of others around you. You realize that people that don't know Christ are watching the way that we behave. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. And what that means is this, what he's saying, in other words, they will give glory to God because their life was transformed by Christ because they saw that you were the real deal. They saw that it was something that was within you that they wanted within themselves. So as we bow our heads just before the Lord 
And we consider him as our cornerstone today that we're building our life upon. If, you, if you're a believer today, are you growing up in your faith? I want you just to really grapple with that question. Or are you a Christian that has stayed the same for year after year after year? Are you growing? Are you any different in your faith this year than you were a year from today, a year ago? Do you possess more qualities of a believer that's growing, where you have this hunger for God, where you hunger for his word, consistency in his word, or would you have more qualities of immaturity? I know that I had to check myself on some of these this week, and maybe you would be in that same place. Are you unstable every time? Maybe just the world throws you a curveball, you, you just flail in your faith, or is there a stability that is there because your life is built upon something that lasts? Are you selfish with other people or, 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 or are you one that begins to just love other people even in the midst of hardship? Maybe there's insecurity that's going on within you. Peter is saying, I want you to understand who you are as you begin to understand this identity that God has imparted to you. It starts changing your behavior. You can release the fear and the insecurity and the control because you realize that nothing can change who God has said you are. Nothing can take away who you are in Christ. You have a cornerstone that your life is built upon. Father, we thank you today for your word as it corrects us, as it challenges us, as it encourages us. Lord, I pray for these believers today that, Lord, all of us together, we would be a church that is going deeper in you, that we would be growing in you and worships you, not just with our songs, but, Lord, with our lives. I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with me?